of starting your own business or for more information, please contact Sophia Campos at 415-641-3465. That's 415-641-3465. This public service announcement is brought to you by your friends at Mutiny Radio. Is made possible by grants from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting and the National Endowment for the Arts. A series of contemporary plays for radio. Earplay. This week, Earplay presents The General Brutus by Jeff Wanchell. Wanchell has been a familiar name in American theater for some time. His first play, The Disintegration of James Cherry, has been performed at the Lincoln Center in New York City and the American Conservatory Theater in San Francisco. He is the author of works as varied as The Rhesus Umbrella, Auto Destruct, and Fog and Mismanagement. And his most recent play, Isadora Duncan Sleeps with the Russian Navy, played an extended run at the American Place Theater in New York City. General Brutus, here receiving its first production, began life at the O'Neill Playwrights Conference in Connecticut. Earplay commissioned him to adapt the play for radio. The General Brutus by Jeff Wanchell. I'm alone. Ask yonder knight both who he is and why he approaches thus plated in the musculature of war. Oh, my lord. The bombaster Brutus, my lord, desires a word with you. He's full of guile, hollow, deep, and treacherous. But I'll woo him to my purpose. Lead him to me. Oh, noble Brutus. Pray tell, what instrument is that you drag behind? Lord Fauntleroy, you are the chosen of Romulus and Remus, favorite of the Scions of Rome, yes. chiefest candidate for supreme general. Are you not, sir? I am, Brutus. And if I am elected, you will be my right hand, yes. my second in command. Your second in command, sir. Not your equal. My equal? But two cannot command, sir. This be tyrants if e'er one raved. O oh, tyranny, thy rich deserved death endure. Drop to one knee and speak, Bazooka, for me. My God, I crushed this adder in his shell for the common good because he was ambitious. Great figure. Ah, I'm Lord Fauntleroy and this weighty purse of <laughs> yours. See to it, your hands are full of business. Uh, you shall be general, my lord. <laughs> now, I am Rome's favorite. <laughs> It is the hour of the general election, and I nominate Lord Fauntleroy. Fauntleroy is missing and presumed dead. Fauntleroy? Art thou gone? Why, he is dead, then. 
Farewell, Fauntleroy. Mark how his philosophy of stoicism well schools Brutus to withstand this grating shock. If thou art gone, why, so be it. Death, a necessary end, will come when it will come. Even so, great men, great losses should endure. No, sir, if it please you, I am unworthy. I cannot. Uh, no, cannot is false. I will not run, nor if elected, sir. I vote for Brutus. Uh, oh, and I, I, I vote for Brutus. And I vote for Brutus. I vote for Brutus. I vote for Brutus. Brutus shall be general. Brutus shall be general. Can be avoided, whose end is purposed uh, by the mighty gods. Romans, Brutus thanks you. For what greater honor can you render unto a Roman than appoint him supreme general? Make him a god! Yeah. That gods are superior to the general elect. But let us not talk of gods, but of reprisal. Hmm. Senators, our neighbors whom we value and clandestinely support have been unwholesomely set upon and beat about the head and shoulders with a blunt truncheon. Now is the time for all good Romans to come to the aid of their army. For on the morrow, vengeful Brutus shall forth across the chill green Chinese sea and let slip the dogs of war. I will repose the offensive emperor and with decisious victory Imperial Rome and Guild, the Romans, to battle, cry havoc, havoc! Waste and desolation follow. Sir, these are your troops. Men, by class, step forward. Break hells, idlers, jerk-offs, and base lackeys. Scurvy knaves, runaways, vagabonds, and scum. Motley, as in the text, but they'll serve as well as any to stuff pits or yield the crow a pudding. Fresh parchment, sir. Mm. Your time. Warlike Brutus takes command. Do you like this headline, Sentry? Yes, sir. Just... Fine, sir. Your name, astute centurion. Atrocious. I like the sound of it. Atrocious, you're promoted. You'll be my officer oh. first class. Oh. Sir. You're Harold Tribune, sir. Ah. The Roman legions on the march, Brutus in control. What think you of this here emblazoned, my mercenary? Magnificent, sir. Your name, perceptive fellow. Ignominious. Tis goodly. To which you may now attend, officer first class. Sir. Sports Illustrated, Your Lordship. Latter-day Mars, Brutus Ascendant. How does it strike you, Legionnaire? Oh, magnificent, sir. Just fine. Name? Major. Officer First Class of the General Brutus. Sir. Gentlemen, publicize your promotion as incentive to the troops. Sir, the army expects an address of some kind. Oh, but my address is the army. Where it goes, I go. No, I, I mean an elocution, sir. Oh. A charge to the uh, troops. Oh, a speech? You have nothing prepared? Well, no, I... Well, uh, sir, you needs must improvise. Oh. Uh, uh, men, 
I say unto you, verily, where the army goes, I go. As its location varies, so doth mine own. It goes where I tell it to, and that is my address. Further, I promise you this. Obey my orders, and none of you will be killed. Except the immortal fallen who perish nobly in this valiant war to preserve peace. stairs with wobbling focus. The blind soothsayer Artemidorus. <laughs> Men say he looks into the seeds of time mm -hmm. and knows which grain will grow and which will not. This man? He is a dreamer. Pass him by. Oh, fatal general. The oracle at Delphi bid me warn. The well-reputed oracle. <laughs> so, well, bad news. Bad news. I am not sure I wish to hear this message. That is the message. What message? Beware of bad news. Uh, haughtiness, sir. We warn you. Do not try our patience further. What bad news? He means, sir, beware of bad news is his message. Bad news in general? Thus the oracle charged me. Sarah, you snare our attention. Now be blunt. As you do value your person, explicate. I can no more. Have you your wits, sir? Now what is you speak? It is the general Brutus to whom you augur. That means watch out. That means lighten up, Susie. I can no more. Then I'll be rid of you. Tear him, rend him, sever him asunder. Leave him reddening the plain. And onward to China. <laughs> <laughs> Certified? It is, my lord. Plague on it. In China, such darkness reigns, I cannot see my own finger. The fens of the lowland issue forth, filthy clouds which clottle and infect the air. In vile contagion of this fog which our shrouds and swallows us, I do grow somewhat apprehensious. <laughs> Who goes there? Your horse, my lord. So foul and fair a day I have not seen. We are safe, disembarked. Make excellent progress, but in a circle. Where to, good general? For booty, pillage, and glory. Onward, Roman soldier! We fall Clouds by these rough high hills and swampy treacherous bogs will encamp, concocting how to meet the enemy in combat decisious, 
these dignities laid on me I well deserve. I am ripe for exploits and mighty enterprises. Mine officers, attend me, and I will unfold to thee what I have to show you. Aboard this crisp October evening, we stand about grinning as the good General Brutus unwraps a terrible engine. What fearful instrument is this, O General? This is my sausage grinder. When the enemy approaches the area occupied by my sausage grinder, he is a human being. After encountering my sausage grinder, he is sausage. A defoliation of sorts, specifically of the arms, legs, and head. Exactly. Uh-huh. The sausage grinder, reason my statisticians, encourages the enemy to lay down his tools, lift up his arms, and flee howling. Hmm. Gentle hearts, our strategy is simple. We go to where the aggressor lives, and when he comes out of the woods, we slaughter him with weapons. Men... You've got to teach these people, and this is the only way they learn. You've got to kill them to show them what they don't understand. Do you understand? Yes, yes sir, sir, we, we do. do. Yes, sir. Very well, yes, sir. sir. Absolutely. Whatever, Whatever you, you say, say, say. Just so. General, the envoy of the Chinese emperor has arrived and humbly requests an audience. Conduct him to our tent directly. <laughs> I see you're thin. That's not good. Envoy... Tell your warmongering emperor he has offended against the laws of nature, God, and contract. Do what he may, Brutus show forth. We will depose him and seize into our hands his plate, his goods, his money, and his lands. Of thy intent by augury forewarned, the emperor observed, Sour times are these, when dogs, gob-bellied thieves, and burglars, corpulent, unmuzzled range in murders and in outrage. The scurvy varlet speaks he of corpulence, to be by a China man, taunted, scorned, and baited at. Were it not for my stoic philosophy, I should not endure it. Tell your emperor China is breakable, and Brutus will trample on it. Good day. The emperor bids the general Ellant look to the flea. Well in thee may find thy image mirrored. The Yarrant's knave, a flea, my mirror image. Spurn and have a sea, vile messenger. Now, cold, fearful drops, stand on my trembling flesh and my heart knocks at my ribs. I ran the Chinese envoy through, but he's unwounded. The emperor pleasants this memento, and I set in a hand saying... Attend thy deeds, O General. Lastly, he feeds thee this cake, saying, Chew upon this. Alas, ye cannot eat it. It eats at thee. I will see thee again. He is of the bubbles the earth hath, as the water doth. The envoys vanish. Pleasure. Taste of this cake to see if it doth poison thee. Oh! My molars broke, my lord, but the cake struck open. Within a parchment lies. What? Bloody thou art. Bloody will be thy end. Muttering and grumbling. Do thy death attend. Oh, mark uh, how the general's countenance doth drop. Right. He stoops and seems the more concerned than heretofore. Oh, studies I solemnly defy. Save how to pinch and gall this China man. Night hath been unruly. Chattering pies, lewd rooks, and jackdaws hung o'er the camp and jeered. 
strange groans were heard and gargles. The frame and huge foundation of the earth shaked like a coward. These freakish portents are instruments of warning under some evil imminent and monstrous. What is the hour, pleasure? Nearly dawn, my lord. Some sixth sense warns me of approaching peril. Sir! Fourteen hundred Chinese advanced with drawn swords. Now put me our quarrel to the will of heaven and rain hot vengeance down upon offenders' heads. For Rome, God and good cause, fight them on their own terms. Mount the hand-to-hand counterattack. <laughs> <laughs> Well, the grim visage general doth redirect faltering stragglers back into the fray. Once more to the breach, my bulwarks once more close the wall up with all Roman dead. Murder, spoil, and villainy! Follow! Atrocious. How fair the statistics. Indifference, sir. 50 of the enemy killed, 48 of ours. We have the advantage. Brutus, Rome, and glory, fuel them to particles, let pride hack their bones asunder! Two hundred thirty enemy dead, two hundred forty-five hours, a trivial, a purely numerical difference. Tear them, tear them, hence labor in thy vocation! Five hundred of the enemy killed, seven hundred three hours. What's wrong with them? Our men war valiantly, sir, but the Chinese, more familiar with swordplay, may carry the day. Impossible. The Chinese are the color of tooth decay. Give death his due, my cohorts. Pay the debt to nature. Go! Another twenty-five of us, sir, wiped out by a giant Chinese swordsman. Sixty feet tall. The earth explodes at his feet. He scatters men like rice. To hell with chivalry. Ignominious. My bazooka. Mark him, he's hit. He toppled. Sword play is derivative. Break out the flamethrowers. Swing in the helicopters. Spray them with mortars, germs, and nerve gas. Tidy up with little John, my thermonuclear novelty. The heath is blasted desolate. All is glistening stillness. It's a massacre, sir. Write it up for the trade papers. And what shall we do with those Romans who warred with swords, like gentlemen, and have now gone to a better place? Anyone there is can err. The grievance he is author of, Brutus, recognizes, rectifies, redresses in full. Promote these dead men. Honorably discharge them, bury them, award them the Medal of Meritorious Service, and declare their memory a Roman holiday, that all may muse upon the random slain. Look, sir. Huh? 
the Chinese envoy. Ah, tell me, my slim ambassador, does it well please you the outcome of our skirmish? Your troops are incinerated. Not before parting with a thousand of your own. Pish tush, sir, quibble quibble. Common men, small change. Scasmore, where that came from. Your second kick, with compliments from the emperor, take. I will see thee again. Not if I see thee first. <laughs> He's disappeared, my lord. When he seems to vanish, he but turns sideways. Crack the cookie with thy good tooth, pleasure. Oh! Uh, let me see. Blush, blush, thou lump of foul deformity. The horse and caterpillar, goad and taught me, will he? As thou hast made the happy earth thy hell live not thy natural age, but by some unlooked accident cut off. Sting and nettle me. I'll... Assault! What hideous sound is that? Grumbling, sir. Wherefore do the men grumble? Except for the odd pillage, sir, and paltry booty. They have not been paid. They have none of them seen wages. Tell the men to, to forage into the countryside, to stop each citizen and inquire if he belonged to that portion of the native populace supportive of the General Brutus. If he say no, kill him. If he say yea, shake him down for what he's worth. Sir, let's let's How fares the new policy? Eighteen sesterces. Eighteen sesterces? Atrocious. The reason this measure does not succeed is because the men do not press the populace hard enough. Sir, the men are diligent. Half the locals have been taxed, the other half slaughtered and rifled. Uh, I, I must conclude that unless they hid the money somewhere, the populace is poor. Well, rip apart the houses, find the money, and bring it here. Use the planks for firewood. Sir? <laughs> Sir, how much? Fifty-seven sesterces. Fifty-seven sesterces. Yes, sir. To pay an entire army, tax the men. Tax the men, sir? To pay the men? You heard what I said. Sir, tax the men to pay the men. Now, what means this? By some unlooked accident, cut off... Sir? Uh, Nero declares no war in China. Uh, reports of a war in China are greatly exaggerated. The Emperor Nero told senators today we must not let rumor undermine national morale. Uh, a minimal troop commitment to preserve peace, the Emperor mumbled, is something else again. The Emperor is shrewd. Best continue to war unrecognized. Mm. Herald Tribune, sir. Uh, team of critics sets out to study situation in China. Fact finders arrive today. What shall we do, sir? Why, when the accursed malcontents show up, present to them we're here as friends to, to cause the sore-pressed populace relief. China's great bane is our population. By decimating their ranks, we ease this crush. Thus do we but help the Chinese breathe easily by slaughtering them. Close the busybody's nose further, sir. Snoop, peer, prod, pry open our business here and offer it fire off dispatch. That I'll not endure. 
Better we dispatch them than they us. Critics, sir, approaching from the southeast, breathing ink, bristling with quills. Pack them, pierce right, them, right, mash right, their right. ears together, pitch their heads off, mow them down with tanks. Is this well advised? History will exonerate us. Uh, do you not detest copying censure? I do, my lord. So do we all. Exterminate them. Critics repaid in like coin. If we could but kill them all, we'd live forever let, in the let, hearts let, of men. Let, 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 the bloody deed is done, sir. Reaction from Rome. Sports right. illustrated, your lordship. Uh, accidental butchery. A note hath arrived, sir, from Emperor Nero himself. Ah, warmest personal regards and best wishes for your continued success. <laughs> The men mutter and look heavily, sir, for their souls are full of dread. The hummingbird that followed us from Philippi, that sweet wing of omen, hath alighted and was squashed by a foot soldier. And a ten-ton pigeon, a great gray bird that did blot the noonday sun, hath shat upon the phalanx, drowning six hundred men, or splattering thousands. Ghosts, sir, shrieked and gibbered and did counsel the mercenaries, pay thy life insurance premium. General, there's a monstrous cloud on high, huh? shaped like a fire-breathing dragon that uh. drizzles blood unto the irregulars. All soldiers of fortune are much unsettled. <laughs> Tis the first time I've seen a man struck by lightning. And from a clear sky, the gods gesture if we but knew what to infer. Fight, 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 fight. Sir, 13 of the enemy have been flattened by a falling tree. <laughs> Heaven intervenes. The gods favor us. Destruction, woe, and ruin, O general. On a search-and-destroy mission, two cohorts, taking each other for the enemy, lobbed home fragmentation bombs, blockbusters, and pineapples, erasing themselves utterly and without exception. And I alone am escaped to tell thee. Such are the vicissitudes of war. Men battle and, like the setting sun, sink earthward vermilioned. Sirrah, because you bear bad news, I snuff. <coughs> Impale and mutilate you thus. Yet fear not, the augury holds. Ambush and extermination, sir. On a sea can eradicate mission, the 8th Legion pursued a dozen of the enemy to a quagmire and toppled in. The 13th Legion pursued an enemy into the desert where it did perish of heat and horizon. A golden mountain fell on the 14th to 137, mortally crushing them. A golden mountain? For that he bears bad news, go in unto this man and undo him entirely. Now the gentleman draws aside. See? He broods. And contemplates mm. extremity, calls forth strict measure. Friends, mm. I have meditated and see but one path clear of these o'ercrowding entanglements. At bad news, leap, kill all such incoming messengers before they unburden themselves. Oh, no. oh, what form of news? A tale of disaster so grievous as ties the tongue of the orator and soils the lip that mouths it. Cleave and throttle him. Left right, left right, left right. 
Dash him in twain. What is this heaped up mound of uniformed personages? Bearers of bad news. What word, Sirrah? Bad or good? Not good, exactly. Crush him to a casserole. <laughs> Words before blows! Words before blows! Left, right, left, right, left, right, left, right. Hear ye, hear ye? Unless his honor, Brutus the General, doth this instant cease and desist from the obsolete custom of murdering bearers of bad news, he shall from this declaration hence have no more tidings. Bad news indeed. Mangle the man. Roast him with napalm, sir. Chop him with a gatling gun. Drop the gate on his head. Your lordship, a word. Hmm? My lord, reconsider. We should spare this one. No, kill him, kill him. Bad news, isn't it? Precedent, procedure. Sir, you cannot afford to kill this messenger. This one represents all others. Precisely. It's the principle of the thing. If I let this one go, I won't be able to kill any of them. Disembowel and be done with it. Sir, can the army function without communications? Ah, ah. Oh, I know not what may fall atrocious. I like it not. Can't we bring up some contraption with wires? Shall we carve him, sir. See now. Sir. Your feet are too big. Your hands are too big. But because I love you, because of the great engrafted love I bear toward all messengers, I will let you go. This time, get out of here. Let's fight, let's fight, let's fight. Mark me, atrocious, for mayhap on this one point the entire enterprise falls down upon our heads. I acted against my instinct as you did counsel me. The chill of winter is now upon us. On this raw and gusty day, we find the General Brutus encamped in his own sternum, a makeshift barracks wrought entirely of stone. General! Adopt the war. Profitable beyond expectation. How so? We have killed five times more of the enemy than anticipated. Well done, sir. And casualties? Commensurate, purely commensurate. <laughs> Is that cursed muttering again? Atrocious. Wherefore do the men mutter? Because of sustained losses, sir. As to whether we're winning or losing, the army's infinitely subdivided. They are each man of a separate mind. Trash, rubbish, and awful. Hang those that talk of defeat. Now, I will myself into the pulpit and mollify the men. Men? Because most of you have been killed, I know some of you feel we're losing this war. You're wrong. We're winning, and we'll go on winning. We few, we happy few, we band of brothers. We may have to kill every China man in China, but we'll teach them. They'll learn. That's all. <laughs> the men must cease this cursed muttering atrocious. Will make me mad, I tell you. Sir, for our private satisfaction, let us reason with the worst that may befall. Suppose we meet more Chinamen than we can kill. Never. Didst thou mark not yestermorn's headline atrocious? Plenty peacetime bombs necessary, says Nero. I will be held it, sir, and did attend the small print. Senators not so sure. 
Suppose the Senate wavers, sir. Doesn't hold. Faults Nero. Charts a new course. What then? No, you not, atrocious. All seeing. He's good morn, good morn. It did spring the dailies. The Times, sir, has this issue printed your essay of strategy. The Times has my essay of strategy? I thought I had it in my pocket here. Look, sir. Eh? A photograph of you maiming civilians. Oh, my scrapbook. Sports Illustrated, sir. Scapegoat vote in poll revealing results. The sum? You won handily. My enemies multiplied geometrically. I am in stink as have stopped. As here I tediously waited o'er. Uh, go back. Go back. <laughs> Look, he swoons. Mark, the fit is on him. Now he doth quiver. His lips be split and flapped like awnings. Hath he the falling sickness? His mortal instrument is out of joint. <laughs> uh, oh, pay me no heed, sirs. I often lie thus upon the mud flat. Uh, uh, tell me, good sanatorian, before I forget, what falls in this our tottering China? It's Rome that reels, sir. Hark, the Herald Tribune sing. Nero declares, I have been lied to. Uncovers war in China. The rogue general declaimed in capital. The, ah, the Senate, Rome. The Emperor Nero today issued forth a statement saying, This is all Brutus's fault. Hmm? He got us into this war. No more supplies, no more reinforcements. Oh. We're better off without him. I blame Brutus. Oh. The Emperor claimed to have been totally ignorant of the war in China until informed by advisors today. No Reliable sources said here. No more reinforcements. Oh, brutish beasts. Men have lost their reason. Once more, the general's trademark. Mark, the unexpected pronouncement, the lightning change of policy. You'll go in on raids, capture our own troops, hold them to the front, declare war I... on Rome! Crickets, sir! Critics, still alive? Crickets, General! They've set upon the food supply. They are penetrating the tin, sir. They're eating everything. Well, the cooks say it's paranormal. It's worse than a portent. It's a full-blown plague. Oh, hideous infestation. Aphid, sir. The trees are bitten to pink. No cause for alarm. Without food, we have no need of firewood. But the gold, sir. General Lucas, now that all the food is gone, the men wish to know what they may eat. Oh, the men wish to know what they may eat now that all the food is gone, do they? Well, then, in that instance, I say unto them, verily, let them eat much. Let, let them eat much. What of the men, sir, ate your plaque of command? My plaque of command? The very document wherein my authority lies vested. Did he eat the entire scroll? All except the indigestible seal of office. Bend down and wedge it on my breastplate here. <coughs> now, tis my badge of office. It suits me excellent well, does it not? Well, does it or does it not? What's that on your arm? Why, boils, sir. Why does this just-arrived messenger speak not, but stand stock still and stare amazed? Cholera. Cholera. He collapses. He turns blue and blows away. Heave me up, good pleasure. Oh, no. No, sir, no more messages. No more bad news. General, sir, cholera has broken among the men. By the fireside with the General Brutus. 
What carrion odor drifts over the rampart? Mortality, rank mortality, sweet mortal men, fodder, cook stove fodder. The statistics are atrocious. 70,000 barbecued. Not a bad catch. Not bad for a day's haul. A pity they're our own. I am the General Brutus. For 1,400 days, my men and I have been encamped in a jungle of mud. It is our belief that merely to remain here in the face of overwhelming odds is a tactical victory. More than nine-tenths of my original complement fester with cattle, Moraine. Not enough living are left to bury the deceased. As we charbroil them, the stink of the dead catches in the nostrils of the dying. For 43 hours, I have been out of communication with Rome. I have as yet received no response to emergency requests for food and ammunition. Nine of ten messengers are caught and tortured by the enemy. The tenth comes back to be shot by atrocious, my first officer, whom I have cause to believe hath eaten of the insane root that takes the reason prisoner and is become unhinged. Worst of all, the unforeseeable. The men's spirit is broken and they are thick and unwholesome in their thoughts and whispers. Weary with disaster, much pelted with the vile blows and balisades of fate, the entire camp is about to turn into a mutinous boat. General Brutus, tidings from Rome. Speak, Bazooka! Zanko! Atrocious. Why did you kill the messenger? Don't you remember how you did charge me? He was bringing bad news. I don't like bad news. Unhinged, I tell you. He orbits the parade ground. Tidings from Rome, General. Oh, no! Bad news! Fuck him. He's violent. Sing, Bazooka! Bongo! Why mute? Again. Bongo! Uh-oh, I'm out of pellets. Transfix these, ah! The messenger has run atrocious through. He falls. He's perished, sir. Troublous times. The homeland's tinder, sir, and conflagration. The Senate and Coliseum blaze. Oh, General, whilst Nero fiddles Rome in Tiber melts. <laughs> Cream is soured to grunt and sweat under a burdensome, oppressive office. That it should come to this, how weary, stale, flat, and unprofitable seem to me all the uses of this expedition. Ah, that this too, too solid flesh would melt, thaw, and resolve itself into a dew. But since in the gross and scope of my opinion, tis unlike... Look how our commander's wrapped, his brow deep mm. plowed with furrowful concern. It must be by his death. Come, good pleasure. Sir. I will unfold my bosom to thee. Suppose you we may yet manage this campaign to a happy ending? Unfashionable, sir. Then let us call and question our necessities. Mm. Should we be engulfed and quite overcome by the teeming Chinese... Are you content to be led in triumph through oriental back alleys? Think not that ever Plagia will go bound to Peking. The gods defend me from so great a shame. I dare assure thee the like, that no enemy shall ever take alive the noble Brutus. Yeah. Death cancels all bands. Brutus from bondage will deliver Brutus hence to the pith. 
Good pleasure. Mm. That hour is upon us. We have neither supplies nor ammunition. The foe encircles us. At the least hazard, our ring of defense is broached. Our enemies have beaten us to the pit. It is more worthy to leap in ourselves than tarry till they push us. Sir, a word. <laughs> what? I, my lord? Me? Peace, good pleasure. Come hither. No, to be or not to be is not the question. That we shall die, we know. And he that cuts off twenty years of life cuts off so many years of fearing death. But in that it doth abridge our time of fearing death, this is death of benefit. Sir, and we that off this mortal coil shuffle do but act in our best interest. Hither once more. Shall I do such a deed? Oh, ill request. Do that. And do away with all the world. So it please you, I will not run upon thy sword, my lord. <laughs> he meditates. How is that noble vessel full of grief that it runs o'er even at the eyes? Pleasure. Be steadfast. We'll do this thing together, firing thereby each other's pluck and dauntless spirit. You first, I'll follow. Run upon my sword. But, sir, how will you then dispatch yourself? Brutus is resourceful. Never mind. He'll manage. Sir, mind I have it. At the same second, we'll turn our daggers into our own proper entrails. Wilt thou pleasure? If we should fail, my lord? But screw thy courage to the sticking place. Here would I thump thee, oh. and will not fail. Give me your hand first. Uh, Fare you well, my lord. Farewell, good pleasure. Ah, uh, but upon this shank and hole, this blow might be the be-all and the end-all here. If it were done, when tis done, then for well it were done quickly. Out, out, brief candle, I smite me. Thus. Oh. 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 Alas, for that my stoic philosophy doth forbid, I owe more tears to this dead man than you shall hear me pay. Now, I attach this thus. <clears throat> Ignominious, hither, and see what this noble Roman hath wrought, and ope the note so fastened to the good pleasure. I, Plato, being of sound mind and body, do run on mine own bare podkin, and thrust mine sword into my heart to aid and abet the escape to exile of General Brutus. Ignominious, place the general's toga upon me. The general, dressed in mine own proper toga, deliver o'er me the funeral oration, and afterwards flee. I had not known pleasure to be so bold, therefore, nor so worthy in execution. Uh, hasten, ignominious. Sir. And now, wearing the toga of pleasure, as was his last want, I will myself into the pulpit and show the piteous manner of mine own demise. Friends, <laughs> Romans... And countrymen, I come to bury Brutus and to praise him. Justice, verity, and mercy were his. Also, devotion, patience, fortitude, and a stout heart. Yet, death makes no conquest of this conqueror. In that self and violent hand which writ his honor in the acts it did, the courageous general bore the power that canceled him. He overcame himself, a Roman by a Roman. Nobly vanquished. Oh, insupportable and touching loss. If wreck and ruin in a thousand wrecks lies rotting ten thousand Roman kites and buzzards gnaw upon. What matter? This was the noblest Roman of them all. The loss of such a lord includes all harm. Now weep, you hard hearts. You cruel men of Rome, weep. 
the Zohar sent plenty of tears to drown the world. I see you are embarrassed. Let men dismiss yourselves and weep in private. Well, true, Plato. Uh, boy, uh, do your custom post. Who commands now that the general is gone? Ask again tomorrow. Oh. When did the Chinese come? At sundown, most likely. Now, to make good my escape to exile. Who's that saucy fellow enshrouded in corpulence? His hat plucked about his ears, his face half buried in his trench coat. What ho, Sirrah? Where dost thou go, thou sneaking varlet? You, Sirrah, you! Aye, sir. I'm of a mind to hammer you, rogue. State your purpose here. I'm uh, taking a constitution. Not constitutional. A stroll, an outing, and now I'm off. A stroll in the entrenchment? None stalk here but the foot soldiers of the deceased general. All those are the enemy. And which, pray tell, on pain of being hamstrung are you? Why, friend, of course. Boys! Look what we have here! A Chinaman who's learned Latin! What do we do with Chinamen? Sizzle him, smother him, unpacken him at the joints! Weed him on the first gun! Your last words, Chinaman. Choose. I beg leave, if I may. Prepare yourself for silence. I am the General Brutus. He's the General Brutus. The General Brutus is defunct. We all have seen him buried. I say, bury this name and be redoubled sure. <laughs> Laugh at your own death. Howl then and wax hysterical. You, Sirrah, for one more opinion, be drawn and quartered. Come, speak aspersion and Instantly strangle on it. If you are the general, how came your corpse to be discovered in noble suicide and the oration praised? It was a test to probe the medal of the troops. For rumor has it, Chinese impostors infiltrate the ranks, and that vile rumor purged why jubilation. We, every man of us, are victors. A happy day it is. Less than convincing. Rings furious to me. I love it not. It stinks of big. It's Dembo, sure. And each man here present to be promoted, awarded the scarable glorious conduct, and 75 sesterces. Oh, 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 General! Oh, Brutus! Narrower and narrower. General, wake up. All's lost, it, sir. What? Except for the two great tanks under which the men mm. encamp. Everything, sir. Mm. All that was left has been stolen. Everything gone? Stolen? Yes, sir, whilst you slept. By whom? The enemy. Of course. Do you suppose they'll return it? And my men, ignominious, all my spongy hirelings, all gone too, all dead. Shivering, naked in the rain. A ravaged army, quaking in the mud. Awaiting what? I pawn your speech, sir. Your charge to the troops. From here on in, that is, until the course of the campaign improves, when anyone asks if I am in, you tell me... Where is Brutus? Within his war tent, writing his oration, his address, his charge to the troops. I'll unmuzzle my wisdom to you, but I must be brief. The situation now is grave, and what steps I'll take in remedy, I perforce must presently concoct. Had I but time, oh, I could tell you. But soft, ignominious approacheth. Brooding time again. It must be by his death. Alacrity, 
My lord, I'll have none of it. No, ignominious. Why not? It's against my religious scruples. Ignominious? A coward dies many times before his death. The valiant never taste of death but once. Run on my sword. I say no, general, and sophistry will not avail you. Do you forget your situation? Sir, I do not. Yet yours of late is thinly stretched and hourly more doubtful. Ignominious. Everything that lives must die, passing through nature to eternity. Run on my sword. No. Run on my sword or I'll have you killed. It's treason thus with pleasure. Farewell, ignominious. Thou owest a debt to time and mortal custom, which I would have thee pay now. Come hither, I will award thee. Are you not afeard, my lord, of confronting the ghost of Plato at the hour of reckoning? Brutus never doth wrong, but with just cause. But soft! Look there! Behind thee! The bloody ghost of ignominious! The bloody ghost of ignominious? Oh, Brutus! At thy back! I... Nothing in life became him like believing it. Sweet Brutus bid me hold his Vulcan and the noble general, his face averting, did back upon it. Farewell, tranquil mind. Are all thy glories shrunk to this little measure? When that this huge case did contain a spirit, a kingdom for it was too small. Now two spaces of vilest earth is room enough that bears not alive so stout a gentleman. He was the passing fat, tis so. Sir, if it please you, I have not finished the oration. I am, as twere, but warming up. Weep, weep, the sun of Rome is set. Our day is Stop, no now. more. I am glutted, gorged, and full. This syrupy eulogy overfloweth the measure. Sirrah, if he'd not find thy esophagus wound around a doorknob, be silent or be put to silence. Not so, it is I, the fearful ghost of Brutus. His ghost, I tell you, not Brutus himself. In five minutes I shall return in flames, bearing a message of spiritual admonishment. And for every Roman soldier, for every several man, a fortune in success. Look, look, an army of ghosts approaches, led by the bloody shades of Pontoroy, Archimedora, Plato, and it is ignominious. foolish had I but foreseen but I'll be good I promise yeah, the ghost of Port Leroy is pointing there's the vacant well, well, tis that lurking serpent, the Chinese envoy. Thin man, where's that unlooked accident you spoke of? Thy last bottom kick, Lord Blutus, take. Where riddance. If thou mayst not immortal look about thee, for Brutus of death ne'er shall taste till two tanks occupy the same space. Why? I am immortal then, but that can never be, or else throw physic to the dogs. Clay brace. 
sought, devise what thou wilt, ye waste thy deeds. Swords I smile at, gun turrets I laugh in their face. <laughs> Till two tanks occupy the same space. <laughs> And now my spirits lifted much flesh and well fortified with this augury to make good mine escape to exile. Uh, a plague on it! Two tanks draw nigh full tilt from opposite directions. Take care! You'll cause an accident! Oh, yeah, oh. history cut short the narrative. It's too brutal! General Brutus by Jeff Wanchell. George Michon was featured as the General Brutus. Also heard were Richard Ramos, Michael Laskin, James Hurdle, Harley Venton, and Guy Paul. Original music for the General Brutus was composed by Herb Pilhofer. The production was directed by John Madden, with technical realization by Tom Vagley. For earplay the Radio Drama Production Center for Public Broadcasting.
two minutes, an American is sexually assaulted. Take action today. Join Rain in the fight against sexual violence and volunteer in your local community. Visit rain.org. That's R-A-I-N-N dot O-R-G today to find out how you can make a difference. This public service announcement is brought to you by your friends at Mutiny Radio. Thanks for helping me with my fear of zoos. I told you there is nothing to worry about. It's kind of nice. Peaceful. Yes, it is. Let's go over to the monkey cage and watch them fling their poo. Monkeys! No! Monkeys! But they're so cute. No! Monkeys! You're listening to Mutiny Radio. Same great station. New great name. Unlock this door with the key of imagination. Beyond it is another dimension. A dimension of sound, a dimension of sight, a dimension of mind. You're moving into a land of both shadow and substance, of things and ideas. You've just crossed over into the Twilight Zone. The date is Tuesday, September 11th, 1864. We are encamped outside Atlanta, and the destruction goes on. I know not what history will make of this conflagration, but I have witnessed it at close range. I feel it my duty to set down these observations before the prism of time colors them in a different light. As to the present battle, then my words may seem harsh, but I assure you, this is how it was. We charged the enemy's works and carried them with the bayonet. The earth ran red. The air was filled with the screams of the wounded and dying. But we were many, and they were few. And so we triumphed. Nonetheless, and despite urgings to the contrary, the battle raged on. The city was ours. There was no need to destroy save that which could be of use in the fight against us, but Sherman was drunk with victory. He himself started the fires, the flames which annihilated that great citadel of grace and beauty. One of us should have sent a ball into Sherman's brain. It would have been so easy. But somehow we couldn't, and that devil knew it. He knew it, and he mocked us for our cowardice. The good die young, I have heard him remark. If you're evil enough, you'll live forever. And with that, the entry from Major Skelton's diary ends. So it was that the Union soldiers burned Atlanta. Questions? Professor Jameson? Yes. Uh, the books I've read don't describe the Battle of Atlanta that way. Oh, I know. Confusing, isn't it? But as someone once said, history is bunk. <laughs> Uh, who was it now? Um, uh, I should know that. Henry Ford. Yes, of course. That's it. Mr. Ford. Thank you, Professor Kidridge. 
Helps when a Nobel Prize winner sits in on your class. You should drop by more often, Sam. You seem to do quite well without me. I could always use a good teaching assistant. <laughs> so, to sum up today's lecture, the Union soldiers did indeed burn Atlanta for no good reason after the battle was won. You may have seen a more pictorial version in the motion picture Gone with the Wind, but I assure you, the conquering troops took no pleasure in their work. They were forced to it by a man they hated more than they could ever hate the rebels. An ugly, sullen, appallingly brutal general named William Tecumseh Sherman. The history books have glorified this monster, attributing to him qualities of courage and integrity. Trust me, he had no such qualities. He was just a small, evil man with tiny red eyes and a dirty beard and a way of talking that made you quietly want to slit his throat. What a great lecture. I really like this class. Professor Jameson makes it so real. I forgot to take notes. Oh, you can borrow mine. When's the test? I don't know. I think it's next Tuesday. It has been said that universities are worlds unto themselves, inhabited by the young. These are the inhabitants of Collins University, a very small world indeed, young people hungering for knowledge, which can be imparted only by age. You have just met Walter Jameson, for 12 years the college's most popular and respected history professor. Students crowd his lecture hall and listen in fascination as he brings the dead past to life for them. It doesn't seem to matter what period of history he's discussing. He makes that period as real as this morning's headlines. Some explain this ability simply as the mark of a consummate actor. However, there are those who don't agree. Like Professor Samuel Kittredge, Nobel Prize winner in chemistry, who has another more disturbing theory about Walter Jameson, and that theory is about to be put to the test. Very soon we will find out whether our star professor received his degree from a major university or from the Twilight Zone. And now, The Twilight Zone and our story, Long Live Walter Jameson, starring Lou Diamond Phillips, with Stacey Keach as your narrator. Very vivid, Walter. You had me on the edge of my chair. Thank you, Sam. Coming from you, that means a great deal. Now I see why these lectures of yours are so popular. Is that why you sat in today? Partially. Tell me something, if you have a moment. Certainly. Who was this Major Skelton? Oh, no one important. Just a lawyer who happened to enlist. And you acquired his diary? Yeah, lucky break. As I recall, an auction of Civil War memorabilia a few years back. What regiment? 123rd Illinois Infantry. Remarkable. American history is a hobby of mine, but I must say I've never heard of him. His diary's never been published. A fascinating document. May I see it? Um, surely. Well preserved. It was stored in someone's attic for a hundred years. I don't think it had ever been read. You come across objects like this once in a while, put away in boxes. They didn't know what they had. 
You could resell it for a nice price, I imagine. Original source materials are hard to come by. Hmm. Don't suppose I could borrow it? I never lend books to absent-minded professors. Remember the last time? Yes. I guess you're right. Time for some coffee? What? I'm going past the student union on the way to my office. Not today. I have a paper to work on for the conference. Oh, I almost forgot. Can you come by for dinner? Whose invitation? Yours or Susanna's? Mine, this time. Something on your mind? Nothing special, just your company. We have a chess game to finish, if I'm not mistaken. Say, seven o'clock? All right, seven it is. Good. See you then. Hello? There you are. Where else? I keep regular office hours. I know. A chance to counsel all those co-eds. Oh, please, Mr. Jameson. I just have to talk to you. It's about my term paper. It's Professor Jameson to you, young lady. Excuse me, Professor. I might have an hour this afternoon. Then we'll have to work fast. You see, I have a bad case of writer's block. I need someone to, well, loosen me up. You don't need me. You need a cold shower and a massage. Speak for yourself. <laughs> Daddy told me he invited you for dinner. He did. You mind? Not if you don't mind my getting some work done afterwards. My thesis is due in ten days. How's it coming? Oh, it's coming. I'm just not sure I've said enough. Want me to look at it? Absolutely not. I have to know that I can do it on my own without help from you or Daddy. You will. Don't worry about it. I miss you. Me too. Only a few more days. Then we can spend more time together. We'll paint the town red. Oh, there's my two o'clock. I gotta go. Let me guess. Female, age 19, about five foot two, with eyes for her handsome professor. Be right there. Actually, this one's a little old lady. Wants to finish her degree before she kicks the bucket. <laughs> I'll bet. See you in a few hours, darling. It's a date. Oh, there you are. Come in, Janice. I was afraid I was late. Someone else is waiting for you. You're my only appointment this afternoon. She asked if this was your office. A student? No, I don't think so. She's sort of elderly. She acted like she knew you. Hello? Hello? She'll probably come back. Oh, I'm sure you're right. Now then, Janice, how can I help you? I'm sorry to bother you, Professor, but I'm having trouble with the assignment. Can't find all the books? The research library isn't supposed to check out certain materials, but sometimes... It's not that. I've got everything I need. But the authors on the list, they don't agree with your version. So my question is, which version should I use, yours or theirs? Remember what Ford said. What? Never mind. Start with the basic events. Everyone's in agreement there. As to interpretation, that's up to you. Just tell me what you think happened and why, based on all the accounts. 
Original thought is what counts. But how can I be sure if I wasn't there? That's always the problem, isn't it? There's an old adage. Those who were there know more than those who weren't. The problem is getting people to believe you. Nonetheless, you know what you know. So you learn to keep some things to yourself. <laughs> but that doesn't affect you, Janice. We deal with truth in my class. Nothing but the truth, for better or worse. They say it can set you free. Father. Hello there, miss. I've got a great deal on a set of encyclopedias. Sorry, we don't want any. Just let me get my foot in the door. Oh, really? You know what's wrong with you, Professor? What? You're always on time. Sort of takes the mystery out of things. Oh, so I'm not mysterious enough for you. That's just it. You're too mysterious. Except when it comes to keeping dates. Get in here. Mm. What's that for? Because. Like my new dress? Awful. Get rid of it right away. You mean here and now? Watch it. You're a PhD, not some sorority girl. And not yet, I'm not. There's a little matter of a thesis, remember? A mere technicality. Anyway, it doesn't matter. You're about to give it all up and become a housewife. The devil she is. Hello, Sam. I didn't see you there. I'm giving you my daughter's hand, not her brain. Which I inherited from you. She'll get that PhD if I have to... Spank her. I know. Well, I like that. Spare the rod and spoil the child. Pour yourself a drink, Walter. Dinner's almost ready. Don't tell me you're the cook again tonight. Indeed. And why not? Don't you think it's about time Susanna learned for herself? He won't let me. Force of habit, after her mother died. Let's go into the dining room, shall we? I'll serve. You sure there's not something on your mind, Sam? Nothing that a good meal won't cure. enough to eat? I take it all back, Sam. She'll never be the cook you are. I wouldn't even try. Well, you could try. Who knows? Maybe you've inherited your father's talents. What do you think you're doing in here? I'll do the dishes later. Unless this is the men's hour. Cigars and brandy and all that. Not a cigar. A pipe. It's not the dishes I'm worried about. It's a little matter of a doctoral thesis. Upstairs with you. Walter and I have some talking to do. I don't believe this. It is the Gentleman's Club, right here in my own house. Just for a while, Susie. Then you can have Walter to yourself. You're not going to treat me this way, are you? Worse, you might have to support me. Then the wedding's off. Good night, Daddy. See you before you go? It's a requirement. Brandy? Uh, by all means. You know, you don't have to worry about her. 
She'll accomplish anything she sets her mind to, with or without us. Oh, I know that. But she's wasted a lot of time. She's almost 30, and I'm almost 70. You're talking about chronological age. You're both still very young. I don't feel young lately. Aches and pains. Let's sit down. The chessboard is exactly as we left it. My move, isn't it? Do your worst. Hmm. How about pawn to King's Bishop 4? Look at that. You don't like it? Not the move. Your hands. Well, what about them? Extraordinary, isn't it? They looked very much the same when we met, those two hands. Firm, smooth. Not the slightest discoloration. Time marches on. For some of us. Walter, tell me something. Of course. How old are you? You know the answer. Forty-four. My move. I seem to recall that when you applied for a position at the university, you listed your age as thirty-nine. That was, uh, let me see, twelve years ago which would make you 51 now. Come on, Sam. So I'm 51. Too old for Susanna, is that it? In a sense. What are you getting at? This is between the two of us. It won't go beyond this room. Really, Sam? Walter, when I met you, I was 58. I had most of my hair, all of my teeth, and hardly a wrinkle. Look at me now. In twelve short years, I've turned into an old man. But you haven't. It happens that way sometimes. I know. But why? Clean living? Don't ask me, Sam. You're the chemist. I'm just a history teacher. Yes, and you teach it very well. Do you know what your students say? They say it's almost as if you witnessed history firsthand. I try to make it interesting. Fake it, you mean? You could call it that. Yes, that's what I thought. But somehow it didn't seem like you. You're such an honest, precise man. Ah, here it is. What have you got there? A book, a first edition. Photographs, mostly. Taken by a fellow named Matthew Brady during the time of the Civil War. Well, what is it? You look as if you'd seen a ghost. Perhaps I have. Hand me that magnifying glass, will you? I don't see. Was your grandfather in the war by any chance? No. In that case, I'd say we have something of a mystery in our hands. Hmm? How so? You got me interested in your major skeleton today. Oh, that. <laughs> I was curious to see what he looked like. So I went through the Brady pictures. Not really expecting to find anything. Here, this is a shot of Sherman and three staff officers. Yes, typical of Brady's work, moody, grim, not a smile between them. Look closely. The one with the pistol in his belt is identified as Major Hugh Skelton. This photograph was taken in the 19th century, and yet 
It looks exactly like you. I'd know those eyes anywhere. In fact, Walter, I'd have to say, it is you. It is you, Walter, isn't it? Photographs can be deceptive. Poor lighting, grainy images. You shouldn't have kept the ring, you know. It's a dead giveaway. Ring? Uh, it, it is a bit like mine. Not like it. The same. Sam, really, you can't be saying what I think you're saying. That wouldn't make sense. It wouldn't be rational. It wouldn't... Come now, Walter. We're not children. You know exactly what I'm saying. I've been accused of many things in my time, but never of being inarticulate. Oh, you're joking. Just because a man in a picture happens to look like me... And happens to wear the same ring, and happens to have the same small mole on the left side of his face. Did you keep the pistol? Or is it in a Civil War museum somewhere? Oh, Sam, Sam. Tell me the truth. You know what the truth is, don't you? You are the man in the photograph, aren't you? Yes. I knew it. I've suspected for a long time. But, of course, it seemed so fantastic. It is. Yes. So, now we're on equal footing at last. The time for lies is over, Walter. Wouldn't you agree? Yes. So tell me, how old are you? You won't believe me. I can believe anything now. This bust on your mantelpiece? What about it? It's after a Greek statue, as I recall. The head of Cato the Elder. That's right. Let's just say... I'm old enough to have known this gentleman personally. But... He lived more than 2,000 years ago. I said you wouldn't believe it. No, no, it isn't that, but 2,000 years? How, Walter, how? You don't know what you're asking. In heaven's name, this is what mankind has been dreaming of. Sam. To live forever, to go on learning and understanding eternally, without end, without death. Sam. Tell me the secret. I can't. You must. You owe it to the world. I owe the world nothing but contempt and pity. Then tell me any part of it. I'm almost 70 years old. I have a heart condition. I'm going to die, but I don't want to until I finish my life's work. Walter, listen to me. Do you understand? I'm not ready to die. I can't tell you the secret because I don't know what it is myself. What? I was like you, Sam. Afraid of death. Too afraid to face the concept head on. When I thought of all the things there were to know and the pitifully few years man had to know them, I went cold with fear. And with anger, too, at the impossibility of it all. The combination was paralyzing. 
Every night I dreamed, as you dream, of more time, of immortality. Only if man lived forever, I thought, could there be any point to living at all. Come in, traveler. Thank you. You're very kind. One day, on the road, I met a man. An alchemist. I told him these things and more as I rested with him. He said that he could grant my wish. Only it would cost money. A great deal of money. So I sold everything I had and paid him his money and submitted to his experiments. Drink this, young man. You may remain here until you recover. I feel strange. That will pass. I remember very little of what followed, except that I was in a coma for many weeks. When I revived, I learned that the alchemist had been burned for blasphemy. You're not serious. An alchemist? The only legitimate one that I've ever known. You're asking me to believe something that goes against everything I know? Not without proof. But an alchemist? I'm a man of science. They knew nothing of chemistry. Lead into gold. Just as I thought. You won't believe it. Smoke and mirrors. Their methods were based on superstition. Magic. What did he use? Bat's blood and eye of toad? And once upon a time, germs were unknown. And blood cells and pasteurization and human growth hormone and... Sam, all those things and more would have been called magic once. It's a matter of knowing what to measure and how. Do you realize that most of today's medicines come from plants? Which doctors discovered a long time ago that they worked, even if they couldn't explain the reason? Don't lecture me. All right. But you'll grant that certain phenomena exist before we know why. Science is like history in that respect. A detective story, working backwards from known facts until we understand the cause. And I'm the most undeniable of facts. Unless you can come up with another explanation. Go on. There isn't much more to tell, really. I thought the experiment had failed, of course, because I didn't feel any different. But then, when I saw my wife and my children and my friends aging and growing old, this was a problem I hadn't considered, you see. But surely there's a way to get around that paradox. Such as? There must be. Is there? Think about it. If I tell you that somehow I can stop you from aging, where do you want to be stopped? At 30? Then you watch everyone around you turning old. At 70? Would you want to live forever the way you are now? Sick and weak? It's better than dying. No, Sam. You're wrong. I was wrong. 
It's death that gives this world its point. We love a rose because we know it will soon be gone. Who ever loved a stone? I'm not a rose, and I'm not a stone. I'm a man, very old, very frightened. Of what? Death? Yes, of death. You're a fool. I want to die. Then why don't you? Because I'm a coward, like all men. Because I'm tired of living and scared of dying. That's why. There's a revolver in my desk at home, Sam. The same one you saw in the Civil War photograph. Every night, I hold it in my hand and pray for the courage to pull the trigger. But I can't. You mean to say you've survived all these years without an accident, without being injured or wounded? Some people are lucky that way. They go through life without ever breaking a bone or seeing the inside of a hospital. Oh, I've come close to death plenty of times. But never close enough. Thank you. For what? For reassuring me. I thought that if a man lived forever, he would grow wiser. But that isn't true, is it? You grow tired. That's all. It must be lonely. That's a word that comes to mind. You say it as if you think it's a word I don't know anything about. I suppose you were married more than once? Yes. How long with each woman, Walter? Ten years? Fifteen? I take your point. Now you know why I attended your lecture. Why I asked you here tonight. It wasn't idle curiosity. I suspected as much. Sam, this isn't a situation of my choosing, not any longer. I tried to resign six months ago, but you talked me out of it. Do you remember? Yes. Do you know why? I knew that Susanna was falling in love with me. And I knew what would happen, because it had happened before. A few years of happiness, and then... I warned her. I did everything I could to discourage her. Except tell her the truth. How could I do that? She'd have thought I was mad. Then why didn't you leave? Because it was too late. I was in love with her. Everything was against it. All my reason and experience... But that didn't matter. And God help me, it doesn't matter now. It does to me. Walter, I can't let you marry my daughter. And why not? Susie. Well, go ahead. I asked a question, Father. We were just having a conversation. So I gather. How long were you standing at the top of the stairs? Long enough to hear that there's some sort of disagreement over me. Don't you think it would have been considerate to include me in the negotiation? It's not a negotiation. Please, don't misunderstand. Your father seems to think I'm too old for you, darling. Susanna, let me explain. That's the silliest thing I've ever heard. Good. In that case, you will marry me? I thought that's already been decided. You asked, and I accepted. Unless you're having second thoughts. Nonsense. If I had my way, we'd do it tonight. Are you serious? I've never been more serious in my life. I think you mean it. There's a justice of the peace in the next county. Go upstairs and get your prettiest dress. I'll go back to my place and pick you up in an hour. But... Go. 
Go. Daddy? I can't very well ground you, can I? You're of legal age. Oh, Walter, I do love you. Though your timing is a bit of a surprise. Life is a surprise. If we're not ready now, when will we be? Next week, next year? We have to seize happiness when it comes, and it's here now. One hour, darling. I'll tell her. She won't believe you, Sam. No one would. In fact, by tomorrow, you won't believe it yourself. We'll see. Yes, we will. chance, Walter, if that's your name. Sam, please. The irony is, I truly like you. We've been fine friends. But when it comes to my daughter... You deny her happiness? Is that what you call it? People who love each other don't have secrets. They share their lives. They grow old together. Susanna's entitled to the same thing. Not a mockery of it. You don't think this is easy for me. There's nothing ahead for her but a broken heart. As she sees herself age while you don't. How long do you think you can keep it from her? And if I go away, will that make her happy? She'll suffer, but she'll get over it. You don't belong here. Any more than that antique pistol in the photograph. It's still here. In my desk drawer. And so am I. That's reality, Sam. For better or worse. She's upstairs now, packing. If you come back, I'll expose you. Not just to her, but to the university and the world. Starting tonight. You mean it, don't you? You don't leave me much choice. Give me a few minutes. I need to think it through. Good. If you love her, you know what to do. Yes. I know what to do. Only... I don't know if I have the courage. Hello, Tommy. Who are... You needn't stand up. How did you get in? You left the front door open. Who are you? Don't you recognize me, Tommy? No, I don't think I... Look hard into my eyes. You called them the most beautiful you'd ever seen once, a long time ago. I think you've made a mistake. No. It's you, Tommy. My name is Jameson, Professor Jameson. And if you don't leave my house at once, I'll be forced to call campus security. Don't pretend with me. I know who you are. And who is that? Tom Bowen. Tom? 
my husband. That's impossible. I've never been married. You mean you don't remember? How convenient for you. We married right after the Great Depression. We lost our farm to the drought. Crops died and blew away like dust. And you still a strong, vital man. So we packed up the car and moved west. The living would be better now, you said. And it was for a while. We had a little girl. Did you know she passed away last year, Tommy? A grown woman herself, getting on in years. It's not right to outlive your children. But me, I had to keep going. It was like I'd been waiting all these years, waiting to know where you went when you ran off. And now, I found you. My dear lady, perhaps if you told me who you're looking for, I could... Oh, stop. Please, stop. I saw your picture in the paper. I knew it was you by those eyes. And the ring. You always wore it. So I had to see if it was true. It is. No, Lord, look at that. I can't explain it. I only know what I see. I've grown old. And you haven't. Don't. Please. And now you're going to marry someone else and leave her the way you left me. Lorette, for God's sake. I can't let you marry her, Tommy. You're mine. Don't touch me. What's this? Put the pistol down. Oh, I remember that gun. You used to keep it locked away said it belonged to your great-grandfather. Take it out and oil it like you knew you were going to use it someday. Is it still loaded? I said put it down. Tommy, what you're doing, it's wrong. You can't go on hurting people the way you hurt me. I won't let you. Lorette, for the love of... What was that? I didn't hear anything. Are you sure? I thought... Thought what? I... don't know. Susanna, dear, please wait. Don't try to stop me. I've made up my mind. I know. It's not like I'm going away. Walter and I will be married, and then we'll come back and I'll move my things into his house. It's only down the block. I'll still see you every day and... Shh! I did have some things to say to you. Very important things. But now, I don't know where to start. Please don't. I'm nervous enough as it is. Can't you be happy for me? 
I know it's a change, a big change, but surely you're not surprised. You must have seen it coming. I know we haven't talked much about it, but... Do one thing for me, sweetheart. What? Bring me my reading glasses. I shan't be able to sleep while you're off eloping. At least I can get some reading done. Oh, Daddy, thank you. Where did you leave them? Upstairs in my bedroom, as I recall. Would you mind getting them for me? Of course I will. If Walter comes to the door, tell him... I know what to tell him. Don't expect him just yet. There's still time. Wait right here. I'll find them. Excuse me, I didn't see you there. I saw my Tommy. He's resting now. Good evening to you, madam. Walter. Walter, where the devil are you? Sam. Why are all the lights off? I, I was just uh, thinking. The window's open. I know. I'll close it. <laughs> no. What's the matter? <laughs> it's a strange feeling after all this time. What do you mean? I mean, I've come to my senses. Tell Susanna... If, if you would. You're hurt. Turn on the light. Stay away. I'll call a doctor. No. But your hand. There's blood on it. Hard to avoid that when you've been shot. <laughs> it's dripping all over everything. <laughs> I'm leaking, Sam. Everything that's been held inside for so long, it's running out. I feel light as a feather. Take my arm. Sit down. Quickly. A little late for that. <laughs> I'm sinking, Sam. Right into the rug. There'll be quite a mess to clean up. What's happening to you? Your hair. Your skin. Sorry to fall apart on you. <laughs> oh. But nothing lasts forever. Thank God, Sam. Thank God in his wisdom. Oh. Walter. Walter. I'll try to think of something. Don't let her see me.
Dad? Walter? No, Susanna. Stay back. Daddy! Go home. Where's Walter? Susanna, please, go home. Now. Walter? He's gone. Gone where? I wish I could tell you. But there are his clothes, his shoes. Daddy! Daddy, what else is on the floor? Dust, my dear. Only dust. Professor Walter Jameson, an expert in the subject of times long past, and above all, a consummate actor, since before this university was founded, he's finally completed his life's work, a history of the world that begins in the cradle of civilization and ends in our time, because the future was not his specialty. In fact, the simple truth is he had no future left. The past has a way of catching up with us, sometimes when we least expect it. They say that time heals all wounds, but it also wounds all heals. Rest in peace, Professor. You've just passed the ultimate final examination in the Twilight Zone. More from the Twilight Zone after this. You are about to enter another dimension. A dimension not only of sight and sound, but of mind. A journey into a wondrous land of imagination. Next stop, the Twilight Zone. Hi, this is Stacy Keach. I'd like to take a moment to tell you about our Twilight Zone website at twilightzoneradio.com. At twilightzoneradio.com, You'll find the latest information on these Twilight Zone radio dramas, including behind-the-scenes photographs, plus the newest product releases, trivia contests, ways to contact us, other Twilight Zone-related info and merchandise, plus links to other fascinating websites. So make your next stop TwilightZoneRadio.com. Visit TwilightZoneRadio.com to purchase these Twilight Zone radio dramas on cassette and CD or call toll-free 1-866-989-ZONE. That's 1-866-989-9663. Walter Jameson, starring Lou Diamond Phillips with Stacey Keach as your narrator, was adapted for radio by Dennis Etchison and written for The Twilight Zone by Charles Beaumont. Heard in the cast were David Darlow, Alyssa Fraden, Elizabeth Leto, Anne Whitney, Jeff Lubiton, and Christian Stolte. To learn more about The Twilight Zone radio dramas and to obtain audio cassettes and CDs of these programs, visit our website at twilightzoneradio.com. The producers of The Twilight Zone wish to thank CBS Enterprises, Carol Serling, Dennis Etchison, Dick Brescia Associates, Claire Simon Casting, Terry Jennings, XM Satellite Radio, Sirius Satellite Radio, our sponsors and our radio affiliates for helping make this series possible. 
This copyrighted radio series is produced and directed by Carl Amari for Falcon Picture Group. Audio editing, sound design, foley effects, and mix for the Twilight Zone radio dramas are by Cerny American creatives Craig Lee, Michael Slaybach, Bob Benson, and Jason Rizzo. To learn more about the Twilight Zone radio dramas and to contact us, visit our official website at twilightzoneradio.com. Doug James speaking. You're listening to Mutiny Radio, the same great station with a great new name. Wow, cool. <laughs> Much cool. The new name? What? I thought the radio was talking to me. That's weird. What was weird? This. I'm talking to a podcast. That's impossible. Not really. This is Mutiny Radio. If you're listening, we're listening to... Cool. Mutiny Radio, the evolution has begun. Listening to audio drama in a darker shade at darkerprojects.com. And now our feature presentation. Beyond the life-giving glow of our own sun, the infinite void of dark space stretches to places where reality is only limited by our imagination. It is from these blackest reaches of the universe that we bring you Dark Matter, an anthology of original audio science fiction from Darker Projects. This is Paul Mannering. Evolution has been described as a series of constraints, each new development leading us down an ever-narrowing path of adaption and options for diversity. Consider the possibilities if earlier experiments by nature had taken hold, and humanity as we know it today had evolved in an entirely different way. In such a world, the notion of what it is to be human would be something entirely alien to us. And what is human in our eyes would indeed be a strange specimen. Begin recording. Specimen received today at 0500 hours. Bishop Colonel Altram has confirmed that the specimen was recovered from the UFO that crashed in the desert yesterday. We are, of course, operating under strict military secrecy, and this recording and the accompanying report are for approved eyes only. Present are Dr. Fari Angula. Initial observations. The specimen is not human. 
It is in fact a tetrapod. It appears to be wearing a fitted layer of protective material that completely covers the forelimbs, the thorax, and abdomen. The material of this suit is unknown, but while soft to the touch, appears strong and resilient to wear and tear. The head is bulbous and currently encased in a hard shell. It has not been determined if this is part of the body or is a protective covering similar to the suit. The position of the limbs is quadrupedal, which makes the osteology of this specimen unique. The upper set is smaller and end in five-digited prehensile hands. The tetrapod limb structure and the reduced number of fingers are a strong indication that this specimen is not human. All four limbs are jointed. The lower set has two primary joint sets. The proximal set appears capable of a wide range of movement, and the mid-distal set is hinged. The distal appendages are at right angles to the limb. We will need to remove the hard shell covering over what I believe to be the foot to determine if there is indeed an ankle joint that allowed some kind of... Are you tired of swimming through a sea of podcasts? Are ye on a raft without a patter? Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of Mutiny Radio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ-friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk, MutinyRadio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shitface McRat. <laughs> Are you tired of swimming through a sea of podcasts? Are ye on a raft without a patter? Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of MutinyRadio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ-friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk. MutinyRadio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shitface McRat. <laughs> Do you need an awesome and underground space for an event? Look no further than MutinyRadio.fm. Our 30-seat flexible space can accommodate your acoustic band, birthday party, comedy show, dance party, karaoke super fun, 
theater event, fundraiser. If you think it, we can do it. You run the door in promotion, we run the sound, space, and podcast. Rentals available Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday from 8 to 10 at Mutiny Radio FM's Performance Space at 2781 21st Street in the Deep Mission at 21st in Florida. Contact Pam at pamsadai at hotmail.com for more options and booking dates. Incredible socialist prices so you can be creative in a free speech space without breaking the bank. That's Mutiny Radio Rentals every Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday from 8 to 10. Book your event now. Trying to hurt me, but boy, how it burns me whenever she touched me. And oh, I feel so lucky. Want to spend a summer Sunday laughing your cares away? Then come join the fun at San Francisco's Comedy Day. One stage, five hours, 40 comedians, a million laughs, and it's free. Besides our annual celebration of stand-up, did you know that Comedy Day offers workshops that teach Bay Area students how to use humor to resolve conflict? Comedy Day is so serious about ending bullying, it's banning all comedians from using the following phrases. Knee slapping, side splitting, break a leg, bust a gut, knock them dead. Those words hurt. But Comedy Day feels good. It's fun for the whole family. Did I mention it's free? Hey, comedy fans, don't miss the 37th Annual Comedy Day, the original longest-running free outdoor comedy concert in the world. The funny starts at noon on Sunday, September 17th at Sharon Meadow in Golden Gate Park, San Francisco. One stage, five hours, 40 comedians, a million laughs. It's free! Good evening there, my friends here at MutinyRadio.fm. Chester Cashcock here, and giving you my love and regard as well as movies over there. And uh, I just wanted to let you guys know that any time I go swimming in my vault of rare coins and piles and piles of filthy cash, I can't help but listen to Pamtastic's Comedy Clubhouse every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. I mean, if anyone who knows anything about comedy knows that Pamtastic's books the best of San Francisco and Beyond's Underground comics. It's a great showcase, and they have a fun time at Pamtastic's Deep in the Mission District, where you can laugh off your tushy for a mere $5 every Friday to 10 p.m. And I laugh because $5, I mean, that's what I use to wipe my tushy with. So to laugh it off for a mere $5 is indubitious. But if you can't make it to Mutiny Radio, well, don't even worry. Don't fret at all. You can simply download the podcast post-show and giggle in the comfort of anywhere. Like your Aspen summer home on the mountain ridge with the kayak feeling. So all you got to do is just go to podcastics.pcrcollective.org slash comedy clubhouse. Or you can listen live every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. as your host Pam Benjamin brings you the best comedy from San Francisco and beyond the universe. And what's better than the universe? It's a cash cock, honey. You mosey on down to Bender's Bar. Inside, you can find Counter Offer, offering you amazing late night food and snacks. Try the chicken biscuit, it's like your stomach's in a tasty tornado. 
They have exceptionally great daily ground sustainable burgers with sides of tater tots, grilled asparagus, and delicious zucchini, and creamy delicious mac and cheese. You like tacos? Then get them! And from the specials, very deep fried fish sandwich to a stoner burger with a donut bun. What are those crazy potheads gonna come up with next? Go to the counter offer inside of Brenda's Bar at 800 South Van Ness Avenue, San Francisco. It's located between 19th Street and 20th Street in the Mission District. Open seven nights a week from 5 to 10 p.m. or later. Counter offer, son! Anything you try has already been done before, and there's nothing really you can do about it. So remember to avoid taking risks and to whisper into feathers together in the dark. It's the right thing to do, and viewers like you 